So the other day I was changing my one-year-old shirt and if you have ever changed a toddler shirt before, you know that it is like the most excruciating thing for them. You know, if, if you don't get that shirt off over their head within like half a second, that like two to three seconds where the shirt is like pulled up over their, their face as you're trying to like tug it up over their, their head, they, it's like the end of the world. And so I was struggling to get it up over his head and, and during those three seconds, he just starts screaming and wailing and, and just crying out. And I change his shirt every day, sometimes a couple times a day as he's trying to learn to feed himself and he gets so messy. And so we go through this multiple times. We've gone through this so many times and yet each time that it's happening, it's almost like he completely forgets that this is temporary, the darkness will go away and that it's going to be better soon. In our Bible reading plan this past week, we read through the Book of Lamentations. Uh, the Book of Lamentations, most people believe was written by Jeremiah, who was a prophet who prophesied and then witnessed the destruction of his city, Jerusalem, um, God's city, the city that was chosen for their people. And it's a painful book, but it's also a very beautiful book. Um, not to go too much into detail about it this morning, but the very structure of this book is very beautifully written. It's a poem and each verse is acrostic. It's like the each verse represents the letter of the alphabet and it's in perfect form and structure for the first four chapters. And then the fifth chapter, it just kind of breaks out of structure. And I think that there's so much beauty in it in that in this book, Lamentations, where a prophet is lamenting, is crying out, is sorrowful, um, there's such refinement, there's a beauty to it, there's a structure to it, and then it's almost like all the emotions just catch up and at the end he, he's just just pouring out everything that, that he's feeling. Um, and so this is a tough book to read and throughout the Bible, we see so much history and encouragement and songs and stories and like poems. But I feel like in some of the most difficult moments in the Bible, some of the most painful, some of the most sorrowful encounters in the moments are actually some of the most intimate, some of the most tender. You know, the moment when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden um, and the promises that were to come, when Moses was not permitted to enter the promised land despite all that he went through, and yet he was still so faithful to the very end. Um, even when Jesus was, was praying in the garden, um, we just see that in these painful moments throughout scripture, we see that these characters or the writers understood the very nature and character of God, regardless of their situation. No, I uh, I read to my four-year-old, I read to him some, you know, different children's Bible story books. But it was just this past week, actually, that I was um, reading to him an Adam and Eve story. And it was like the first time where he actually started to really listen and to really start to get it. He was looking at the picture and he pointed to the snake and he's like, what's that snake doing there? And and what what is the snake doing? And I told him about how there 
that God made this beautiful garden and it was awesome and he made two people and they could do anything and enjoy everything and play with the animals but couldn't eat from this one tree and how the snake told them to eat from the tree and how they ate from the tree and as I as I'm telling him about how they ate from the one tree they're not supposed to his face was like and then when I told him that but they ate from it and so they couldn't stay in the garden anymore they had to leave this wonderful place God created for them. He literally went and, and I could see this this moment of connection that to be honest I've been waiting for and um, and it broke my heart the sadness and the despair he was feeling but I got to say to him but it it's going to be okay because Jesus is going to come and make everything better. Because in these sad, sorrowful, painful moments, there's always this promise and this recognition that of Jesus and the, the promises of, of God that was going to make everything better. And so I want to look at this book, this book of Lamentations, the sorrow, the pain, um, the intensity of it, but also the beauty that, that we see in trying to process and understand this book. Um, so this book, like I said, it's written by this prophet that uh, foretold and then witnessed this destruction of his city and it's intense. So just to give a, a glimpse of the intensity, obviously five chapters, not gonna go through it all, but um, some pull out some chunks and highlights, starting with um, chapter one in verse 12, Jeremiah writes this, is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high, he sent fire. Into my bones, he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand, they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears for a comforter is far from me. Once revive my spirit, my children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. This is Jerusalem personified and crying out about what had just happened, about the sorrow and the fire and the net and, and being taken captive and literally the fire that is going through the city and literally the destruction of this city and the, the yoke upon the neck and the hands being fastened together, literally about the people of Jerusalem the people that were being held down captive. Like as Jeremiah's or the writer of this book is lamenting over what's happening, he's describing literally what was going on in the city. And, and it gets even more intense looking at chapter two, verse 20. Look, O Lord, and see with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. 
You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. This is an intense book and the writer is telling us about it, it was so bad. Women, men, old, young, the elderly, children, destroyed, ruined, hurt, and killed. And, and the intensity of it got to the point that, yes, there was even cannibalism within, within families, something that I hope we would never even try to imagine. And so this is not an easy book to read. But I think that it's so important that that we don't dismiss any book of the Bible and that we actually go through and we process this. Because I have heard very few sermons on the book of Lamentations and when I do, it often jumps right into the middle of Lamentations in chapter three, which we'll look at, that talk about hope and the love and compassion of God. We have to be careful to not quickly just jump to the good parts. There is a temptation and religiosity to gloss over discomfort, to, dot, to gloss over negative emotions, to gloss over pain and anger. And the writer of Lamentations did not do that at all, and it is recorded in Scripture. We have become so uncomfortable with uncomfortable emotions that it is common, especially among Christian circles, that if someone is going through a difficult time, and start processing the, the pain or the anger or the doubt that they have, um, it, it's often heard that, that they'll be told, oh, but you just have to remember the good stuff or, or God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And, and we just try to silence them from describing the pain and, and the sorrow that they're going through. And it's so important that, that we don't do that because my question is, when it comes to our discomfort, who are we actually comfortable enough with to share that discomfort with? Like who will we share and be honest, so honest with our uncomfort with? Um, or do we just wanna say, hey, everything's fine and just gloss over it? I think to actually say out loud to someone the pain, the anger, the frustration, <clears throat> I think to even argue with someone points to an intimacy, a trust, an enduring of a relationship to not just gloss it over or, or push it aside. Uh, one of my favorite shows is, is uh, one of the most watched shows on Netflix and it's called The Office and it's, you know, a show, boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. And there's a lot of comedy in different um, scenarios and situations throughout the show, but there's this one couple that we watched throughout the series. And uh, towards the end of the series, we see their marriage and we see their marriage slowly starting to introduce some tension. And we see that they're starting to have some conflict and it's Valentine's Day and he is often traveling to Philly for a business he's starting. She's staying in Scranton. So they're often separated. It's Valentine's Day. They're about to start fighting. So he says, why don't you just drop me off? Take me to the bus station. I'm going to head over to Philly. And she says, why? And he says, well, if I stay, I think we're just going to fight tonight. And at first she says, okay. But then she says to him, I think you should stay. I think you should stay and I think we should fight. 
And that is actually the beginning of their marriage starting to be restored. We see that that is the beginning of, of when they start getting through some of the, the, the gaps and some of the cracks in their marriage is when they chose to fight, when they chose to not just gloss over, ignore, or to just not want to deal with it, but when they actually dealt with some of those emotions and some of that pain. Um, yes, there is hope. And we get to that hope in chapter three, um, in verse 23, 22, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And yes, in our pain and in our discomfort, there's hope and we want to look to hope. But I also want to warn us against the temptation to jump immediately to the hope. Because if we just say everything's fine, if we push past all this, if we ignore chapters one through two and four and five, is that really hope or is that just denial? Is that a denying of what we're really feeling and thinking? And is that denial a denial of trust towards, the, towards God? The other temptation I think that often comes up in religiosity is this focusing and this overemphasis of the grace of God for me and the justice on you. <laughs> that but when it comes to ourselves, we God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and yes and yes and yes. And we love passages about how God has his hands open wide for us and we get that second chance, we get that third chance, we get that fourth chance and he'll always be gracious and compassionate and kind to me. But when it comes to everyone else, we expect and demand justice from God. We emphasize the justice that God will bring to the Goliaths in our lives, to the Ninevehs in the world, in the Philistines and the nations surrounding us. For us, compassion and grace. For others, justice. And in the same way that hope and grief seem paradoxical, but are actually so closely linked, I think that also is kindness and grace and compassion and the justice of God so closely linked that God had made a promise to his people that there would be a land that they would inherit, that they would walk into, and there would be fruit of the land, that there would be promises in the future and, and all these blessings that they were going to have. But part of that covenant and part of that agreement was that he was going to be their God and they were going to be his people. But time and time again, through all of this, through the history of this, we see as we've been reading through the Bible reading plan that the people of God chose time and time again to not be God's people, to be the people of the land, to be the people of other nations, to be the people of other gods. And God would warn them again and again through different prophets, through different messengers to say, if you choose the other gods, the other nations over me, I will withdraw my presence. You will see what happens when my presence is withdrawn. And it happened time and time and time again until finally God poured out justice and pulled back his presence. 
and in pulling back his presence, that's where we see the full justice of God. And we see what actually happened when the people got what they wanted, which was to be ruled by the other gods um, around them. And so the justice that came out, the wrath of God, the discipline, all this that happened with, with Babylon was, as Jeremiah describes in chapter 118, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering, my young women and my young men have gone into captivity. For Jeremiah, he recognized that this was really a consequence of the decisions that they had made time and time, generation and generation, era and era, again and again and again. That this was them receiving the consequences of their actions. This was justice, this was equity, finally poured out. And though it seems like justice and compassion, justice and grace would seem like paradoxes and they would seem so opposite, I would argue that I think that they're actually more closely linked that possibly that they, they come from the very same page. As a parent, I remember I was talking to, after I, shortly after I gave birth to my second son, I was talking to Tiffany, our Pack Kids coordinator, and, and we're talking about parenting and I was asking her for some advice and she was saying one of the most important things about parenting is being consistent and that it's hard, but we have to be consistent. And being consistent is something that I actually really struggle with, with um, my son. And my older one is four and we are dealing with the tantrums and the defiance and the, can you do this? You do it, mom. Or I'm talking to him and he just purposefully ignores me or just, no, I don't wanna listen or I'm not going to listen. And it's tough and it's hard. And my response to that is, if you don't listen, I'm going to take away your toy. If you don't listen, then we're not going to go out today. If you don't listen, then you're not going to get dessert. And I say these things, um, but very rarely am I consistent with it that often he'll get that dessert. We will go out. I'll give him his toy back. And I really have to recognize my husband, who is so good with the consistency thing. Like if he says... You know, if you don't listen, we're gonna take this toy away. If you don't listen, we're not gonna to go to the park. When he says that, my son doesn't listen. My, my husband doesn't give it to him. He's consistent. And, you know, my husband called me out on it that I have to be more consistent. I have to set the boundaries. And my response was, but it's so hard because we're in this pandemic. I'm working from home. I'm working with home at, with a four and a one-year-old and it's really hard and if I start, Doing that, then he's gonna throw a tantrum and then he's gonna run to his room and the baby's gonna be in this room and it's really hard for me to deal with both. And my response was not, oh, but it's okay, he deserves the kindness, he deserves the... My response was, I don't wanna be consistent because it's hard on me. That my showing extra grace and compassion and relenting is not actually out of favor and kindness in my parenting, it's really, selfishness it's really for my own sake it's really to make it easier on me and seeing my husband being consistent setting the boundaries and, and establishing equity that is actually the more compassionate and kind parenting it's the harder one but that's where we see that 
you know, he's actually showing more love and kindness and compassion to our son than, than I am. Because we see that he does what he says he will do. God in his justice and compassion and through scripture, we see that God will do what he said he will do. And it's so important that in these dark moments, when the shirts are pulled up over our heads and we can't see, to remember that God will do what he says he will do. And so the, the hope and the grief and the compassion and the justice really, I think, point to a bigger, what seems like a paradox, but I think is really so one and the same about the character of God, which is the holiness versus love. And they seem so different, but I think that they, again, are from the same page, that God's discipline and his justice, it's not impulsive, it's not erratic, it's not emotional. Yes, it's emotion-filled because he used emotion-filled language like the, the jealousy of a husband or the, the spurned lover, and he uses this emotion-filled language, but it's not impulsive, it's not pouring out wrath or discipline in order to exert control or power or to one-up his people, but it's, it's out of his holiness, it's out of his justice, it's, it's out of his love for his people because it's in this both and that we see that we are invited into that. In chapter 3, 31 through 32, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. That God does not want to afflict punishment, does not want us to be in grief, but God will do what he says he will do. And so the holiness that God demands, holiness and purity and righteousness, is so loving and tender and compassionate because he is inviting us to reflect that character, to walk into that transformation, that that's who we are called to be. And that is the side of God that we are invited to, to keep our eyes focused on, that the beauty of God, his holiness, is what we are invited to see. And so in Lamentations, we see that Jeremiah is not just lamenting over himself. He's not just lamenting over this harshness that he's dealing with, but he's he is lamenting over his nation, over the very country that he's a part of. And as I read through Lamentations this past week again, yeah, I've read through Lamentations in the past and, and growing up whenever I'd be going through a hard time, I would peek at Lamentation and be like, oh, woe is me. Yes, Jeremiah, I feel your pain. But I related to it more than ever because as he wept with his nation, church, I'm gonna tell you, I've been weeping with our nation. That regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum or who, or, or who you plan on voting for, there's such political unrest and there's so much anger and there's so much accusing of the other side that there has been so much distrust that has built up in accusing the other side. Anyone that does not share our political convictions, we no longer trust them. And we now see them as our enemy. There's so much injustice that, that we're seeing in our country and, and that 
The promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not something that has been guaranteed to all men and women, but we have seen that people have been oppressed based on the color of their skin. And we see that right now a virus has come across this entire world. And as Jeremiah, or the author of Lamentations, weeps for his people, I too sit here and I've been weeping over our people and I've been weeping over our world and, and how painful that this has been. But what breaks my heart is that we are so pointing and blaming the other, that we blame the other political party, we blame the other country for the virus, we blame all the other oppressors instead of looking at the wrongdoings that we have done. That we are so bent on trying to prove that we matter as well, that we forget the times that we've made people feel like they don't matter. And Jeremiah, owns up to what he and his nation have done wrong. And so I want to ask us as a people, us as a nation, us as a community, what are we called to do? What are we called to own up to? What are we called to look inwardly at for ourselves? Well, I think the first is, is to weep in the same way that Jeremiah had the trust in who God was to weep and to share his discomfort. I think that we are called, whether it's in this season or any other, to trust the comforter with our discomfort, with our uncomfortable emotions, with what's tough, with difficult, to not jump quickly over it and to be in denial, but to weep. I think we're called to weep. I think we're also called to repent to not point to the other, to not accuse, but to look at ourselves, to look at ourselves and say, what have we done wrong, God? What is it that we need to shift? How is it that in, instead of just looking at what's wrong in the world, what are we called to do as the very people of God to right the wrongs and to be the light in this dark time, to bring light back? A third thing that I think that we are called to do is to wait. Because the very end of Lamentations ends with 521 and 22. It says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The book of Lamentations ends on a very strange note. Like we see that in the very center of the entire book, there's this hope and there's this, but God's, God's anger will not last. He is compassionate. He is loving. There is hope. But then it ends with, um, unless you have rejected us. And it ends on this weird, confusing note. And it's this, what is God going to do next? But the very end of this book promises a new Jerusalem. That as Jeremiah laments over the destruction of Jerusalem, this whole book ends in the book of Revelation, in the final chapters of the promise of a new Jerusalem coming down. And so to wait and to remember and to take hold that God will do what he says he will do. That we grieve because there's hope. That we hold on to the compassion and the justice of God and the holiness and the love of God who will bring a new Jerusalem, that God will do what he says he will do. And so yes, we can weep and yes, we can repent and yes, we will wait because God will do what he says he will do. And so as my son, in those three seconds, 
as the shirt is pulled up around his face and I'm not sure if you can even hear that he's crying right now waiting for me but in those moments where just all he is consumed is all he sees is darkness and I am there and he doesn't hear me and I'm not panicking with him I'm being quiet because all I'm doing is I'm trying to tug that shirt up over his head I hope that he wails I hope that he cries out I hope that he weeps I hope he cries out knowing that he can cry because his cries are not muted, that someone can hear them, that he would never reach a point or a day that he would stop weeping, that he would stop wailing, and that he would say, what's the point that no one hears me, but to always trust that I'm there. And that even when I'm being quiet, that there's something I am doing right around him, right behind him, that he cannot see, but that is going to bring light back. And so may you and I be invited to weep, to know that our cries are not muted, that we have a God that listens, that hears. And even if you are in a season or if you're in a moment or if you're in a time right now that I think a lot of us are, where we're wondering where is God and I can't hear God, to know that he is doing something that is going to pull back the darkness and bring light back and that God will do what he says he will do because he is kind and just, that he is holy and loving. Let's pray. So God, we thank you that you do not command us to be silent that you do not command us to just come before you with smiles, but you in this book have chosen words of lament and wailing and weeping and grieving. And you invite us to come before you honest and with our discomfort, so trust you as the great comforter, because we know that there is hope, that we can grieve because there's hope. And we can cling to your compassion and cling to your justice, knowing that you will do what you will say you will do, that you are a God of holiness and love. And so God, in this, this time of confusion and chaos, in this time where, where a lot of us feel stuck and trapped in our homes or, or in fear of, of the world around us, fear of, of the tension and the, the political disarray and, and the confusion of the injustice around us and the confusion of the sickness around us, God, that we will remember that you will do what you will say you will do. So may we trust you to weep. May we turn to you to repent. And may we wait for it. To wait to know that you will do what you say you will do. And we put our trust and our hope in that.